Hey guys, I'm really excited to announce that after 21 short episodes, we have our first sponsor. It's a locally owned and operated nonprofit video rental store called Film is Truth. They have a collection of over 19,000 films in VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray. So no matter what platform you watch on, you can find the film you're looking for. They have a little bit of everything, but specialize in foreign, independent, art house, and documentary films, which is super cool because they likely have a selection that you won't be able to find in larger stores or even on some of the larger streaming platforms. This is great for filmmakers especially because you should have a wide background of films to pull from in your own filmmaking. Here at Back to Back Films, we are all about expanding not only our own knowledge, but the knowledge of our listeners, viewing films that we normally wouldn't watch, so this is a really special partnership for us. Film is Truth is open from noon to 9 p.m. every day and can be found here in Bellingham at 1530 Cornwall Avenue, inside the Terra Organica Market. That's convenient for you because you can get your food and your films in one stop. If you are a non-local listener, then you can find them at filmistruth.com or at facebook.com at filmistruth. All right, everyone. Enjoy the show. This week's episode of the Back to Back Films Podcast. This week, Jacob is gone, so Byron and I are doing the mini episode, uh, doing another mini episode covering eight directors, commercials, and why directors want to and are even asked to make them. As always, we recommend that you watch the shorts we'll be discussing before listening to the episode because of potential spoilers. I'm your host, Keith. This is Byron. And we don't have Jacob. Uh, um, <laughs> so our main topic this week is directors and their commercials, or actually... Uh, I don't know if you want to update with anything. You got anything going on? Um, no updates uh, that I can think of at the moment. Uh, I'm trying to see. I haven't seen any cool movies. I. Oh man, it seems like there was something though. I don't know I haven't like been able to watch a lot of movies, so it's kind of convenient yeah. that like this mini episode happened this week because like I just haven't been able to watch stuff. I know. Yeah. See, I was so busy earlier in the week, and then. It was cool because I would watch, you know, the commercials, and I just love watching commercials and YouTube videos, like music videos and stuff. So, I, I we watched them again today. It's one of those ones that I, I, I'm not tired of watching the, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. they're only, you know, they're, they're short. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> it's kind of fun. It's actually interesting. Uh, I was reading this article popped up on Reddit from by uh, the the person interviewed David Mamet, and uh, it was interesting that that popped up because in a little snippet of what he said was, you know, he's talking about writing and he's talking about screenwriting and movies and stuff like that. He's like, yeah, the best dramatists and like writers like ever, like who are working right now are in ads. <laughs> like looking at, he's like the Super Bowl ads are like some of the best drama out at the wow, moment wow. because he's like, you get 30 seconds or even 10 seconds and they're telling these like compelling stories and and like it's just no waste of time there's no waste of anything it's just <laughs> yeah. it's a really tight package and that's like tighter than what most people can do you know in an hour and a half and he's you know they're they're making people laugh they're yeah. making people cry they're making people feel yeah. like they're getting emotion in a 30 second little piece so like he's like yeah look towards commercial yeah. like the especially like super bowl ones or whatever like right now uh, which kind of connects to our thing because the Apple Mac commercial right. ori- originally was a Super Bowl one. Which, so good. 
Yeah. <laughs> that one's the trip. I didn't know what to expect with any of Well, I've seen a couple, but I didn't know what to expect with that one for sure. Um, so our main topic this week is directors and their commercials. The list of commercials we are watching is as follows. Uh, Harmony Corinne's Dior Director's Cut. Nicholas Winding Refn's Hennessy XO commercial. David Lynch's Rouge La Bouton. And also, forgive me for my poor French pronunciations. I do not speak French at all, so I don't know how to say most of the words that are going to appear. Um, Wes Anderson's Stella Artois. David Fincher's Nike Fate. Ridley Scott's Apple Mac 1984. Darren Aronofsky's, uh, would you say V? V. Saint Laurent. V. Saint Laurent is how you think of it. <laughs> and Martin Scorsese's Blue de Chanel, the film commercial. Um, so I'm just gonna kind of touch on each one, and then towards the end, we'll talk about you know why uh, a lot of these directors will be why and and why they do it and why they are approached. Um, so we'll start with Corinne's Dior Director's Cut. Uh, the commercial features Sasha Luss, the model Sasha Luss, who travels to the, quote, other side of the mirror, which is all color uh, with the Dior fragrance in the middle of it all, which makes her happy, carefree, and, like, want to dance and kind of break... It doesn't break down. It kind of turns into, like, more of a music video um, by the end. It's also got kind of this, like, Alice in Wonderlandy feel to it, which is kind of interesting. It's kind of his... It, it's certainly his style, right? Where yeah, it's, like, him. Yeah. It's the poppy colors <laughs> and the music. And the, that's... And the music itself is a piece by Die Artwood uh, called Enter the Ninja, which is... If you know Corinne at all, he's worked with them before. He made Um Shimmy Wam and... Um, I don't know. I think he's done a couple other things with them, but I can't remember off the top of my head. So he's got a friendship, and uh, they're kind of a, a tight knit group um, for sure. Because their their whole appeal and shtick and their kind of oddity is certainly up his alley. You know, like yeah, they're, they're very it's similar. It's called Zeph. Yeah, Zeph. Zeph is their style. Oh, yeah. is it? It's like a lifestyle kind of. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Those are the two people who are in Chappie. They're right. The, they're the yeah. They main... played themselves basically. Yeah. <laughs> and I I heard that uh, Blomkamp was saying that working with Ninja was a pain in the ass. Really? That's like he was a very hard person to work with. Apparently. Wow. Yeah. I guess they're really good friends though, because I know that they they've known each other for a long time and they've done. Like they, they're like they're they're both South African. Yeah, right? they, yeah, yeah, they're yeah because um, the Antwoord, uh, the the Antwoord, I think um, Americans call him Die Antwoord, but yeah, I can't but, pronounce I can't, shit. So. But they always make fun of North Americans for saying that because <laughs> they're like it's Die Antwoord. Um, <laughs> but yeah, South African rap rave group and and yeah, Neil Blomkamp is a South African director. Yeah. Um, so naturally, they got together. I think they saw. Um, District Nine, yeah, and we're like, this movie is just insane. I, lo- you know, we love your style. And then he was a fan of their music, of course. So it just kind of, you know, fit so well. And then they, they had the idea for Chappie for like a long, long, long time. Um, they did or he did? Uh, they did together because then they made Elysium and stuff like that. And then they, then they did Chappie for a pretty low budget. Yeah, according to him, Chappie was one of the hardest movies he's ever made like it for him it was very stressful and nothing worked out as how they wanted it for some reason people hated it i actually really like that movie it might be my favorite of the three i've only seen parts of it 
but I got really annoyed really quick because they always say they say Chappie too much. Like they oh. they, they needed to cut down on saying oh. his name. Oh gosh, that's funny because I'm going to watch it and then I'm going to notice. You're going to notice that like every <laughs> every sentence or every couple of sentences is Chappie, this Chappie, that Chappie. It's just like uh, too much. But I do want to see Elysium. I haven't really seen a lot of Bomb Camp stuff besides the shorts that we because yeah. we talked about them. Yeah. Um, but I know you know about the VFX and stuff like that. So I do want to yeah. see Elysium. I do want to see District Nine. Oh, you haven't seen District Nine? No. Okay. I haven't seen like any well, of his stuff. Out of all of his stuff, you might like District Nine the most. It's the most like horror. Okay. Of, of them, um, for sure. But I, I mean, I like. It might be I, his I like overall best work. Though. Kind of like high concept sci-fi too, where like Elysium's kind of got that idea between like the the rich up top and the, yeah. and the poor down below and stuff was, like that. I I was really disappointed the first time I watched it. I liked it a lot better the second time I watched it because I yeah. knew what it was. You know what it was. Um, it just it could have been better. I still liked it, but I think overall his best film that he's made is probably District Nine. But my favorite would be Chappie. That was District Nine. That was his debut, right? Okay, yeah, so Peter he's only Jackson done three. Produced that one. Okay, so yeah. he's only done three feature films. Yeah, he's yeah. A part of the District Nine was he, you know, he I think he rubbed a lot of, he 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 just butted heads um, making that movie with a lot of people. Um, yeah, and then that like right. you said, with the whole alien um, franchise falling, falling yeah. out and stuff uh, with him in the Plum Camp or the shorts episode um, that you guys did. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's funny how like all these directors are somehow kind of really, it's like, it's like six degree, six degrees of separation, but with filmmakers, you know, yeah. Harmony Coran with uh, Diane Word and, and, and then, you know, Neil Blomkamp with Diane Word. I know, <laughs> right? completely different styles. <laughs> we'll find out because uh, there's a couple of commercials here that have interconnected people too. Right. So right. that's going to be sick. Uh, but that, but uh, Korean's commercial was, was it kind of started slow, but I definitely dug it. I definitely yeah, like, yeah. you could definitely feel his style in that. And I think Dior made a good choice right. picking him for that one for sure. I mean, you know, straightforward, like just one chick and just her having a good time with the fragrance which is interesting in contrast to what we'll talk about with some of the other commercials that have to do with fragrances because the other ones are all male based and this is a female based one Uh, which is cool too because I think he kind of works with the feet with he's got I don't know how to describe it he's got a sensibility about how to look at females from the female perspective and it's not even so much sexual it's more it's almost like this interesting uh, well, for this one, very almost childlike. In Except a way. for she does like she she does have her top off in some right. shots, yeah. But it's like covered, obviously. But yeah. it's like so there is some sexuality to it. But yeah. that's not until later. It's not. It's the Dior that sets her sets yeah. the sexual yeah. like side of her. But it up, seems right? like she's kind of com- coming off more sexual than like the camera filming her. Yeah, if that like, makes the sense. camera you know doesn't I mean? sexualize like, her exactly yeah. like. Yeah, and they, there's definitely a stark difference between before she picks up because like when she's in Wonderland, she's just like in her dress, yeah, right? Yeah. And, when, and then when she couldn't, it's after she grabs the bottle yeah. that like, and even then, like you said, the camera just kind of it dances, but it's not yeah. like oh, <laughs> let me focus on like the breasts or right. the tits or whatever, yeah. and like you know, it's it just like it's just there's a couple of shots where yeah. you, you just <laughs> doesn't have a shirt, and you just you just tell so, which um, is very French. Yeah, it seems. Which you is, know, <laughs> that's the other thing too. Is like these directors, you know, they're still conforming. They're still like making it for a brand, right? right. So Dior still has like an image that they're trying to 
to portray with these commercials and whatnot. And it is kind of interesting to see a director, especially Harmony Korean, that's like so his own filmmaker, his own style, his own voice to to kind of um, use his talent for a brand um, because you can tell he's taking it serious. It's not like he just went off and did his own thing and came he back with sold something. out man right? yeah, yeah like it does seem like he took well, actually i think all of these um feel like they purposefully looked into the back catalog of probably the yeah, companies that they totally. were looking for and then from there came up with an original idea yeah they cool. didn't yeah he didn't accept a job from dior without knowing what dior was about right right like you just don't do that that's not how that works yeah. right you're not gonna i'm not gonna just make a commercial about freaking camel cigarettes right. with a bunch of kids with yep. cigarettes. you know what i mean like you're gonna have a there's a sensibility that camel or especially marlboro with their whole cowboy thing like there's a, there's a sensibility yeah. that they want to portray whereas like music videos are even i think a little different because you know you, artists are always wanting to reinvent themselves and then yeah. there's the ego of the director and so sometimes you know the director will have a completely different vision than the musical artist and sometimes the the director is working for the artist and sometimes the director is working for the uh the the management of the artist of the artist exactly so that's an interesting difference between like the music video stuff that like maybe Karen has done as well um and Fincher I think uh Versus uh, Refn has done a video too. Oh yeah, yeah. They've all. I think every director we're going to talk about has done a music video. Yeah, I don't know about Wes like, Anderson, but especially Spike uh, Jones and stuff, which we, we're not talking about today. Um, but like he's done a lot of music videos. I don't think really Scott's done a music video. Yeah, I don't really picture him. If he has, it's like you know connected to a film. Yeah, or something. <laughs> yeah. He just seemed. It seems like he would think that that was below yeah. him. He strikes me as that kind of guy. Um. But he did do a commercial, so yeah. But then that's kind of different, like you said. He's uh, he's done yeah he's done a couple of different ones, but the, the one that we're going to be talking about is definitely his most you know well known well known for, sure. for sure. Like all the directors we're talking about have done multiple commercials. Fincher's yeah. um, done a lot of commercials actually. I don't know about I don't know how many Aronofsky's done. Scorsese's done a bunch. Um, Wes Anderson's done a bunch. All of his are funny too because they're all like <laughs> the sa- they're not the same, but like his his whole flat. Yeah. flat shooting yeah. <laughs> style is like oh well, that's Wes Anderson and it's so it does fit so well with that aesthetic yeah. or his aesthetic with the with the French you know exactly uh, themes and stuff <laughs> that just shows you like how smart the marketing teams are behind these brands because like yeah. there's they they don't pick these guys they don't say well I just like Aronofsky no that's not how that works yeah. it's like his films and then for some of these guys, the these commercials we're talking about came out at a specific time, like in line with a movie or just after a movie. Mm-hmm. So that movie helped influence the brand's perception of them and how that fit. Yeah, like with Hennessy um, and uh, well, the, the Mac, especially the Apple Mac yeah. one for sure. But then also Yves Saint Laurent, because then um, with. Uh, Vincent Castle, like yeah. they, you know, he, they were just rolling off a of black swan. Yep. Um, so, like, you know, they tend to kind of match those things up. But, like, the fact that they're so aware of, like, that person's style, <laughs> and then they're like, you know, here's our brand, but then here's your style, like, run free within yeah, the yeah, field, yeah. right? Like, have fun and don't, they, like, they purposely tried not to limit them 
and give them a bunch of money yeah. to like make something <laughs> that work. Um, it, it's funny because this is like a very interesting take on movie baggage. Yeah, right? Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Movie baggage is the reason why these people made these commercials yeah. 100%. And it's funny because some of these commercials actually full out say the filmmaker who did them and some of them are just, it's on, you know. It just is. It's, 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 yeah. just, it's just commercial. The, the filmmaker's name is not affiliated with the commercial at all. Um you know, so it, that's kind of interesting too. <laughs> yeah, especially like Nike. Like Nike is always is about for Nike. If you ever look at their stuff, it's always about the person that is in the story that right. they're talking yeah. about. It's never any peripheral person. Yeah. Like they always try and get you in the zone, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, of that. Just so, do it. Yeah, just do it. <laughs> uh, so commercial number two is Nicholas Winding Refn's Hennessy commercial uh, the, for their new XO series. Uh, this commercial features a series of esoteric images mixed with men doing manly things and <laughs> looking manly as well as a well-dressed man um, with a soundtrack by Clint Mansell. The com- um, with a, or so, with a soundtrack by Clint Mansell, the commercial tries to hypnotize you as you travel across LSD-like landscapes. So he, the big thing here is that when you look up, if you search for Refn Hennessy commercial, um, everyone always connects it to Drive. You know, the Drive director makes a Hennessy commercial. I didn't look at the timing for that commercial. It might have been right after Drive that it came out, oh, which is good why... Oh, man, yeah. It's um, either after Drive or after Only God Forgives. I have a feeling it's probably after Drive. Oh, 2016. So it was... Oh. Even when he was probably in the middle of making Neon, Neon Demon. Demon. yeah. So wow. that's why Mansell's involved because obviously they were already collaborating by that point. So that's why that music is very much just like Only God Forgives and very much just like Neon Demon. Great soundtrack. It's um, the best commercial ever made. <laughs> yeah. I, out of all of... Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about cool, that cool. again. Um, but like, yeah, it was definitely... It was, a, it was interesting. And it was a whole... It was a remake or re telling of the seven layers of hell but as seven layers of Hennessy instead um, and the flavors and everything and then you end with the well-dressed man and the and the alcohol and that's very much a, a, an alcohol thing right if it's beer it's like groups of people partying or having a good time if it's hard alcohol especially like on the brown side so like whiskeys and yeah. bourbons and in this case like a cognac like you know like it's always a very sophisticated yeah it's you know it's it's just a drink that's straight it's always on the rocks it's something that you can <laughs> sip on uh the colors are dark the the, the men wear dark suits yep. they have darker hair and they're in settings where it's like a bar setting or something or in this case it's like black uh everywhere around him is black you know and he's kind of standing around there's kind of sparks around so like there's a very specific message that they're trying to go for right with like if you want to be either a manly man or you want to be the sophisticated man, yeah, yeah. you got to drink Hennessy. It, but yet, it, it's like a little edgy. It's edgy, <laughs> yeah, because there's like random images of like you know a woman in a headdress, then just like strobe lights, and then like a hand on fire with an eyeball in it, and like you know they pan up across the desert and to see an eyeball in the sky. You know, like the images themselves are, you know, half of them, I don't know how they connect at all. I guess. Well, it's funny. I was reading this whole thing about, like, you know, people have their Illuminati theories, which kind of cracks me up always. But um, I just don't buy into that stuff. Uh, (laughs) um, Because if it really existed, 
I definitely sell my soul. <laughs> <laughs> I'll sell you my soul. Just give me ten million or yeah. you know a hundred million dollars. I'll go make a couple of movies. I'll, I'll do it. Damn it. Um, I'll put any little subliminal message you want in there. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, I'll do it. No problem. Hit me up. <laughs> um, but uh, I heard that he also used. I think the ironically, I think it, ironically enough. Um, uh, God, what is it called? Uh, Tarot. Um, oh, tarot. A tarot. Uh, yeah. With uh, uh, which him, him and the filmmaker Alejandro uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky is, are very close. In fact, um, Alejandro Jodorowsky is it's kind uh, of like his mentor. Almost, yeah, yeah, but he actually they he's uh, Nicholas Winding Refn is christened as his uh, uh, spiritual God. godson. Oh, cool. So they are very close, and um, he used these tarot well Alejandro Jodorowsky is very into uh, tarot and stuff Uh, tarot yeah tarot Tarot. Um, uh, and I think he I was reading that he was there was like there was and I tried to find it for today Um, I couldn't find it again but there was there's a video of him talking about or it was an article talking about the the commercial and he it was it's about tarot um images and stuff as well and it oh that would in. make a lot of sense yeah, yeah there's, actually that, there's that scene where there's the woman like in this cave and there's like fire yeah and, um that's an actual real life um uh italian um uh sculpture um piece of art piece of something? art yeah but it's also i think affiliated with um uh, it's like a monument it's like someone i think someone maybe is even buried there um but it's tied in with the religion that um, Kenneth Anger, who oh, is a huge influence on oh, Refn, yep. who is there's a, almost a shot, almost stolen from Kenneth Anger's um, uh, Lucifer Rising video in this commercial. Um, so I've seen that. What the hell shot is that? Huh. It's the shot of the guys working on their motorcycles oh, in the warehouse. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I could that makes a lot more sense actually because I bet you there are some like offshoots or like different because tarot like you know it's based around a theme right so there's like each deck has its own kind of theme even though the cards are all like pretty much the same they're all like you know you get one car, one of the classic ones or you can go with Alistair, Clow- Alistair Crowley's tarot which is more like the the artwork is all different it sort of shifts too so, right Alistair like, Crowley is a huge influence on Kenneth Anger. Kenneth right, Anger's exactly. religion is so it's so it's all tied in. So Refn is combining, you know, probably some of his sense. two favorite filmmakers, pro- pro- probably, you know, um, and merging those styles into creating his own little yeah. Thing. And like they, this is another one of those things where Hennessy like they really hit it on the money oh, with picking yeah. the right director because yeah. like his style is very much like modern, sleek showy neon flashy fashion like just polished yeah polished is a good polished is a good way to say it there's like like this it's just sleek yeah you know i i I call it like polish is a good word for it it's like i don't even know i just it's so i mean like the blacks are like you know fucking boot polish black you know and and and, or onyx everything's kind of glossy glossy and just sharp edgy the the golds are yeah. are just like rich there's like mm. a deepness to it and, and same with the browns yep. just oh and he's combining 
different elements there's water there's fire exactly um, you know gold you know yeah. stuff like that so it's like there's these different there's um, earth like the desert yeah. and stuff. which i saw a behind the scenes shot of that how they did that shot was it's a miniature wow so the yeah. camera they have like they created the sand miniature sand dunes and the camera pans up to this background image which is the and then they just blast the light through yeah, that the eye right yeah the yeah, eye yeah. so and then they you know in post you change it a lot but that's essentially how they got it, yeah. it was miniatures so sick man. um and then the explosion was miniatures too i'm pretty sure so i think what i like about it is that it does have that kind of feeling as like Blade Runner and these other f- yeah. films that used miniatures or bigatures or whatever. Um, yet now, because of technology, they technology they can kind of go over it in post and make it really polished, so it doesn't yeah. stand out as a, a miniature. Yet you know that it's not uh, a computer graphic. Yeah, you know, yeah, it, exactly. there's a, there is a you know, it's in front of uh the camera and that it's actual you know light is hitting it you exactly. know which is really cool <laughs> exactly super cool um so the next one is uh david lynch's rouge labouton labouteen something yeah, like that I don't, you know, Louboutin. i don't know <laughs> it's the shoe brand hopefully someone will correct us <laughs> i think um, yeah right so, yes the red the famous um Shoe brand, it's the, the red shoe. soles. The famous, and so yeah. that appears that appears in the video. Yeah. Um, so this is a rare foray into 3D animation for David Lynch, and he basically goes all out with his kind of weird experimental style. Uh, the setting is a city seemingly in space with silver balls floating around it. Um, then you see the base of an unreal shoe, like it's literally like bent in an unreal shape, but it's actually based off of La Bouton's famous red-soled shoes. Uh, and then so they take parts of the shoe, which turn into a bottle of nail polish which is the new product by the brand and this product is just as offbeat as Lynch is because it is only being offered in one single shade of red that matches the red of the shoe and no other colors so dope <laughs> so, yeah, so typically brands will release a slew of colors in their line right and they're just like red that red is our red and yep that's it. That's what you get. Yeah, because um, that's what they're known for. That's what they're you know? known for, it's exactly. Like... So they can do that. They can just say, <laughs> you know, screw it. Like, yeah. And you know, it turns into bottles, and, and it turns into one, and it turns into multiple bottles, and it's all kind of spinning, and it's all just kind of floaty, and it's just, it's just weird. The whole commercial is weird. It um, reminds me a lot of like Salvador Dali. Yeah, very much. I would so say that's a, that's a big influence um, on it. It's but it's, and I like the sound design. David, yeah, David totally. Lynch's sound design is always really good. Too. It's always really good, uh, and so they then they connect it with the hands too, right? They show the woman's hands with the oh, red on yeah, it, and, and so, the camera sounds. Yeah, the yeah. Kind of fla- it's just like flashes, kind of. It's mm-hmm. kind of cool. Yeah, so that was a cool. That's a cool commercial, and again, they like with the, such something so simple. Like you know, when you only have one item, like the shoe, something as simple as that. Yeah. Like, how do you make it abstract? Yeah. Well, you find someone who thinks in abstract ways, yeah. right? So like. <laughs> Again, this is one of those ones where it made a lot of sense for them to team up with David Lynch. And David Lynch has done a lot of commercials. Yeah. And like you said, we, we talked about PlayStation. He's done a bunch of Gucci commercials. Like, he's done yeah. he's done a lot of commercial work, which is odd. Yeah, like, um, Gucci hits it out of the park, I'm not going to lie. Nicholas Winning Refn has, has worked with them, too. Mm-hmm. Um, they just they really know, like you said earlier, these the, the brands really know who to go Go for, for uh, usually for, yeah. with, that fit their their style, and even the Gucci, his Gucci by Gucci was like pretty like it was more like Twin Peaks David Lynch yeah. than it was anything else. Yeah, whereas this one was like you know, 
I don't know, Mulholland Drive yeah, yeah. or something. Yeah, it, it you reminded know, me like, a bit, a little bit of his like, student films that he did. Oh, there um, you go, yeah. For sure. Some Whereas, of the stop motion stuff that he did. Okay, yeah. there. yeah, so there you go. So he's channeling that. Um, but whereas, like, the PlayStation 1, because that was, like, early 90s for PlayStation 2, that was, like, rolling right off a racer head. Right, yeah. And yeah. they literally were like, dude, just make it weird. Yeah. Because then he even ends up in that room with, like, a duck and himself and, yeah. like, some and something else sitting on a couch yeah. or something, you know? And, like, it's just so, so racer head and so Lynchian. Um, but it's so cool because you know that it makes sense in his head. Like, if he, if, he would, if he wanted to, which I doubt he would, but if he wanted to explain it, it would make sense. It would make sense, and yeah. you, It would probably just blow your mind. You'd be like, oh, my fucking God. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time, you know, the, a lot of people, when they talk about him, they're like, you know, it's just his... The, it almost doesn't make sense to him either, which is why it works. Right, yeah. In a weird way, like... Because, I mean, he had... I was listening to something that he did, you know, and he's just talking about, like, you know, and Mulan and Jai follow the, the blue and the red lights. The lamps, hmm. they mean something, and you're like, what? You know, so then you watch it, and you're like, kind of follow the different la- lamps, you know, and then it's like, then you start noticing, well, shit, the camera does linger on some of these lights, you know, like, what the hell? Interesting. <laughs> like, so you're just like, I mean, his mind is so, I mean, there's so much going on there. <laughs> the whole, like, the whole Dali thing, like you said, with Dali, and then Dali's famous quote with, like, I don't do drugs, I am drugs. Yeah, you know, that yeah, whole thing. yeah. Like, yeah. that's Lynch, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he doesn't do drugs. He does cigarettes and coffee and uh, transcendental uh, meditation. Yes, um, he does. There is a, he's got a school that is like a, it combines that with like filmmaking. It's really, yeah. it's a trip. Yeah. Um, Literally. That dude's a trip. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, yeah. It's like a trip through meditation. Um, but yeah, so this commercial was totally, was pretty cool. Um, and, you know, the thing about Lynch is that it's hard to really nail down one yeah. commercial to do because we could have talked about the PlayStation one too. I haven't seen a, f- a commercial like this like you know on tv or anything most of these are very european probably never even played in on american tv sets but um i've never seen a commercial quite like this one before but it it, like you know the thing about it is that it's abstract but it's like you saw you saw it connected the shoe yep it connected it to the new product it connected it to our hands and then it said the name at the end like and it had the it's like watching it you know it's a commercial yeah but yet it's but yet it's its own Peace. Yeah, these are the thing about these commercials, especially like this one. They're not American. Like they're not. You you, you say this, but it's not. It's like it's not American commercial in the sense that like, and it's not even like a TV commercial. Mm-mm. It's a commercial made for a marketing campaign. Yeah. So it, the where it gets shown and how it gets shown is different. That's why they come off so differently. Like you just you were not going to see that on TV you're going to see it like how we saw it like online and yeah. stuff because that's just you know the Hennessy one I never saw on TV anywhere that one came out just like last year so like I it's just it's they're afforded more liberties because it's not going to be on TV yeah. you know yeah. like you know I don't think the Hennessy one I mean it probably would have passed yeah. and been allowed on TV but it's you know certain things are pushing it right the Dior one is yeah. kind of pushing it a little bit I think bit. that one is the longer version too I think there's a shorter version of that yeah scene. usually most of these have yeah. shorter versions like Corinne's one was like 20 seconds yeah. extra uh, that's why the director's cut and then like like Nicholas Winning Refn he's done the I think it's Chevrolet the commercials with Matthew McConaughey and the, uh, Lincoln Lincoln you yeah. know with the Vikings which are just straight up commercials of him McConaughey driving yeah. around and talking <laughs> the only affiliation is is kind of you know Ryan Gosling in cars you know yeah, in drive exactly um, but then you also get kind of 
Matthew McConaughey's movie baggage of True Detective kind yeah. of being a little philosophical as he's, you know, driving. That's literally yeah. why they chose him for yeah. that. Yeah, so no. it's, it's kind of an interesting hybrid. Like, who would have thought, you know, you know, Matthew McConaughey, Nicholas Winding Refn combining those two. But it works. But it is very commercial. It's more commercial than, say, the Hennessy it's, one. That one's more of an American commercial <laughs> yeah. for sure. For sure. Uh, so next one is Wes Anderson's Stella Artois commercial. Um, in typical Wes Anderson fashion, this commercial is highly saturated and framed like a storybook. It's quirky and fun, but still with an air of sophistication and fancy. Um, two of Stella Artois' key words when it comes to their image. You know, they're kind of like... I think a lot of people would consider them cheaper beers. You know, they're really light beers, um, but they always like with the with the especially the way their bottles designed yeah. with the extra label on top. Um, they just have this air of sophistication. And usually, I've seen a lot. Well, not usually, but a lot in bars. Stella Artois has their own tap dispenser separate from. Have you ever seen those? Oh. I've seen them a lot, where it's just oh, like yeah, a, it's yeah. a separate rig. Yeah. That's just a Stella Artois. It's yeah. like silver, and it just, it's that way they have their own specific area, and it kind of adds to their whole fancy, like, oh, yep. you know, we're different, yep. you know, that type of thing. It, it, I think it is a European beer. Um, it is, yeah, certainly. And then it, it's gotten more and more uh, popular, and honestly, they have had always, they've always had really cool commercials. Yeah. But now I've seen... I've been seeing them on American TV, mm-hmm. you know, like, whereas, you know, I don't think Stella Artois was super big here in the States, and for, you know, until maybe the last, like, 10 years. Yeah, maybe. I'd say so. You know, <laughs> they're making, whatever they're doing market-wise is, is working, because mm-hmm. I see them in more bars, like you said, you know, way, you know. They're not, obvious yeah. when they're when they're yeah. around type of thing. <laughs> uh, so this commercial basically was like, uh, two people come home from a date, uh, He the guy goes off to... I think he goes to change or grab something, and then she starts messing with all the gizmos and gadgets because his whole apartment is kind of mechanized. Um, he, he was showing her that if you press certain <laughs> buttons, it'll open up certain areas of the walls, and she starts pressing buttons, and eventually it, like, pours this glass of Stella Artois while the couch ends up, like, swallowing her. So yeah, then he comes yeah. out, <laughs> and he sees the Artois and is like, oh, my true love, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's kind of cool, like, because, yeah, he leaves, and then, She's kind of by herself, mm-hmm. and then yeah, she gets swallowed up, and then all that's left is the beer that's been poured. Yeah, and it's almost like it's almost like she, in a way, has become <laughs> the beer. Yeah, no, exactly. That's what like, it's supposed to be. Yeah. Like, there's like this voice that comes <laughs> yeah. out because it's like, her voice, yeah. and he thinks it's like the beer talking to yeah, him. He's I like, know. "Oh, you are my love." It's like it's like <laughs> it's kind of funny actually. Like I kind of cracked up. I when I watched it. Yeah. Like I mean, <laughs> it's like, but it seems a little. It seems a little morbid for Wes Anderson, which kind of surprised me. But also, his stuff his is kind of ha- like that. He does have some stuff, like in yeah. West and or in uh, uh, Moonlight Kingdom, when like the was it the dog gets killed, or what was it? The animal. They come across a dead animal. Yeah, yeah I think yeah, and, and, and stuff. And I'm like, that's hilarious because like, like I know that like probably. <laughs> Like, my mom and my sister, you know, like, would definitely be affected by that, yeah, even though totally. it's, like, this PG-13 movie. Totally, yeah. No, the, <laughs> the, thing... way, the way it's done is so harsh, but it's done in this, like, way... I don't know. It's just funny. Well, it's the fact that he's able to, you know, <laughs> he's he's weird, and his, his movies are fun and quirky, but in that tone, he's able to slip in, like, real yeah, realism, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's the thing. It's, so, like, it's kind of like Grimm's fairy, fairy tales. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So this is, so this definitely is, like, 
you know, and it's kind of the, the the singular set that they use very much of his style, you know, poppy colors. It's very much, it's, when he does a period, it's like stuck in that time. So like, you know, the 70s yeah. kind of look that he had with yeah. the, the, the round couch. and Yeah, the, very 60s, 70s. Yeah. With the kind of orange and mm-hmm. greens. And you still notice the same framing, the same stylish yeah. shots. Everything's and like the, centered and yeah, symmetrical. Exactly. Exactly. So like it's, and it, it just works for the the image that they're trying to portray because he's still able to combine. That's the thing about him is he's able to combine these weird things yeah. where it's like you know slightly morbid but then still kind of fun <laughs> and fancy all at the same time. Yeah. You know, like it's a very hard thing to do. Um, Yet it's super simple. Like that's what's kind of impressive too. Exactly, like it comes very, off very, very simple. simple. Yeah. Um, and then there was other. There was another commercial he did. Um, and he's done a remember. couple with Roman. Coppola, uh, yeah. you know, the son of Francis Ford and uh, brother of Sophia. Um, but uh, he's done commercials for Hyundai. Oh, wow, yeah. If my computer would load. There's one that I saw had to do with like something fancy. Was it this candy one? Product candy, maybe? That was the one. He's. Yeah, it had to yeah. do with, like, perfume or something, and it was just, I don't know, it's so weird, like, to see his style, and then he's just, like, you know, commercials are always, like, you're off, smash, you're done type yeah. of thing, you know, <laughs> so, like, the fact that he's able to pull it off and still be himself is so, is very, very interesting. Um, so, let's see, this is one that's probably more well-known or more seen, or had been more had been seen by more people. Uh, Nike Fate. We're going to do David Fincher's Nike Fate commercial, or a, what do they call it? Come Together or something like that, I um, think, was like the other subtitle of it. Yeah, Fate. It's like Fate it's come, together come Together or something, yeah. yeah. Which is funny that they didn't use, like, come together. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave nothing. I'll so leave I wasn't nothing. Even, I wasn't even close. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, For some reason, that sounded right, though. What is come, come together? I don't know. I don't know. Shit. Um, so Nike is all about, you know, the sweat and the work that goes into sports and how athletes are always constantly pushing themselves. Uh, so fate is Fincher's. Uh, Fincher basically follows the journey of Ladanian Tomlinson and Troy Polamalu as their destinies collide in an NFL football game. <laughs> so it starts from them as kids and then shows them as they're getting older and they start to get introduced into football when they're young and then high school football, college, and then eventually in the NFL. Um, you know, it, it it still has Fincher's... It's not as extreme, but it still has Fincher's use of shadows and it's sort of underexposed. probably underexposed about a stop or so. And there's a, a movement and framing in the color where the color is is there, but it's not as saturated as it is, you know, kind of Fincher-esque. Um, and it's uh, very much one of those ones where, I, I think we mentioned this, where, like, you know, some of them have director's names attached to them, and some of them don't. And this is one of those ones, and Nike specifically is one of those groups where they don't ever want to take you out of the commercial itself right. it's, it's always about the image and the commercial and even when you go into the stores it's like and you see those pictures it's like focus on the athlete itself <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you know and connect nike to that so you you know it doesn't even really say that fincher's involved unless you look it up specifically it's weird because the music to that um commercial too is a remixed um version of inyo morricone's uh uh gold theme it's called del oh man uh, ecstasy of gold i think um 
from the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly soundtrack. Oh, cool. Um, so it's a techno remix of that, um, which is pretty cool. But it's kind of, that's kind of an interesting thing because it's one of those sounds that is recognizable for people. Oh, like, it is. Like, yeah, really, now I'm that, hearing that, that, it. Yeah. yeah, see, it's like at first people would probably be like, I've heard this, but wouldn't connect it because of the, the techno beat. Uh-huh. Um, so it's kind of interesting that he used oh, Ennio Morricone yep. with Nike. <laughs> yep. And it works. Yeah. And the thing about this, too, is, I don't know if you knew this, this one was shot by Lubeski. Oh, I didn't know He was know the cinematographer that. on this commercial. It makes sense. And you can tell yeah. now, right? Now, because, and, and that was actually one thing that I was surprised about with this film, because uh, for me, when I think of Fincher, I really think of a lot of dolly shots and a lot of exactly. like, like very precise, very thing. But this seemed more, more flowy. There was a lot a more handheld. More handheld, which yeah. is kind of Lubetsky style. Very so much. that makes sense, and that kind of goes to show on how much, how fucking like how much his style, uh, it, you know. In his in all the films that Lubetsky does, he has a fucking style. Like he brings mm-hmm. a lot to the table to those films yep. that he's in. <laughs> and I like I actually I do like this commercial. Um I think now rewatching it again too is pretty cool because you know they very they very much paid paid attention to like left, right, have them run at each right, other as right. they're going. And you can it's really cool how you can really see this how the style of the cinematographer influences what because like, you know, Fincher knows that, right? He knows that right. Lubetsky has a he gets hired because he has a specific style as a cinematographer. So how do we combine right. <laughs> my Fincherisms with like Lubeskyisms? Well, it's funny unquote, because you know, to me, now that I know it's Lubetsky, I I view it more as a Lubetsky commercial. But Fincher is known for his technical ability, and yeah. it is very technical. But Lubetsky's like a god among cinematographers so you know he's technical too so it's kind of this interesting because yeah like when I watch when I watch it it seems very technical it's so well done it it's very precise in the way it's done I I don't know it's just it's almost perfect like like in in what it's definitely executed very well very masterful however it doesn't have much of a voice it's not as unique to the filmmaker as all the other ones that we uh, are talking about. And that's the thing about Fincher kind of overall is that I, you know when you're watching a Fincher movie, but his he's never like, oh, that's Fincher's voice. Right. He's never like, I don't know. He's, <laughs> yeah, because um, he's got a style, but it's not. But he, yeah, he has a style, but not a voice. He's his visual. Because the other thing, too, is that he... You like he doesn't write his own stuff; right. he directs it. So like right. the voice comes from the writer more, right? Yeah. In general, like Fight Club's voice is Chuck Palahniuk, right. right. you know, and then the <laughs> screenplay, the screenwriter who adapted it, and then Fincher comes in to give it the right look and to get the actors to get into fit. Like, he understands how to mesh with someone's voice. I right. think is really uh, more the thing, and yeah. you, you know, I think that's why. It, it, you know, I think when we initially were talking, I think we both kind of felt like, oh, you know, Fincher and Nike might not have, yeah, uh, compared to a lot of the other yeah, ones we're talking yeah. about, they might not have meshed. But now that we're talking about it a little bit, I'm kind of thinking like, well, Fincher's such a chameleon. That's true. Like, that, yeah, no, I, I'm glad you put, you pointed that out because I did initially when I first was watching it, I just was like, man, I'm not feeling Fincher in this, yeah, right. uh, you know. 
And now it's kind of changed. Now that I know that it's Lubetsky, though, it's like, damn, <laughs> yeah, of course it's Lubetsky. You know like, that was an expensive commercial, yeah, man, yeah. just to get those two on board. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, cool. It's, it's certainly it's. I don't know. He's, but I guess Fincher does kind of have a thing for like, you know, these sort of like growing story or like stories of growth or of ch- of change in that sense. Yeah. Like not necessarily growing up, but you know, growing yeah. is kind yeah. of a, a a theme. I guess you can find. Um, yeah, so like a maturing of sorts. maturity. Yeah. 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 So like it makes sense, right, with the storyline because the story is like. Literally, the first shot is a ultrasound scan, and then you see them as babies. And then you yeah. see them, you know, all the way up until you see them on the field. It's actually interesting. Um, I didn't think of that though. Like you know, when I was watching it about the maturing thing, because like all of his films, there's a revelation that the main character has has gone through. Yeah, you know, Seven. It's like this whole thing, and then Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, you know, when they figure that, out who he is, and yeah, then what's in the box, and it's like then his whole worldview changes. Mm-hmm. Um, Fight Club, Fight same Club, way. same thing, and then uh, Gone Girl, where Ben Affleck goes through a whole yeah. thing, like he really finds out Zodiac. Yeah, Zodiac. Yeah. So it's it makes sense now, I guess. Actually, when we were storing, see, that's what's great about this podcast because when you, it, it there's opens up a dialogue yeah, it does, that is yeah. like kind of op- you know, it's like oh shit. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah, no, totally, yeah, totally agree. Cool. <laughs> Okay, so our next one is um, the Apple Mac 1998 commercial done by Ridley Scott. So this was originally a Super Bowl ad, uh, and this commercial was extremely ambitious in scope for the time because it did come out in 1984. That's, um, I'll get to that in a second. Scott... uh, Scott was tapped because of his uh, recent films, Alien and Blade Runner. So those were the two that he had made um, just before doing this and basically were his, like, his first two, essentially. Um, I think there was one before, but it might have been a short. Uh, and he kind of had this very peculiar and specific vision for dystopian future. In fact, when we watched that short little behind-the-scenes interview, yeah. um, he says, like... Yeah, I knew how to do the. I knew how to get to the 1984 like style or look or whatever. Like he knew yeah. exactly what to do <laughs> beforehand. Um, so he just has that sensibility, and that's what his interests interests are. Um, so Apple was going to release its first Macintosh computer, uh, which was going to set people, which was essentially kind of quote going to set people free, right? Hence the use of 1984 as the main piece, um, Big Brother and stuff like that. So the, this was gonna based on the George Orwell, Orwell book. book, exactly, exactly. So this was about the the nonconformity of Apple and how they were gonna change things. Um, and so the interesting little factoids, all the uh, bald individuals in the film are actually all skinheads <laughs> that they casted for. So they put a casting call out for skinheads, which they all considered very frightening. Yeah, even um, Scott, which it's funny because Ridley Scott in all his interviews kind of comes off as kind of a man, you know, yeah, very yeah, yeah. masculine. And so it's kind of funny when I was kind of surprised to hear him say that it was a like like an intimidating, yeah. frightening uh, audition. Pretty much everyone <laughs> in the production was kind of scared by that prospect, but they needed the bald people to get that conformity look right. Um, and then the young lady who runs with the hammer and swings it, she's actually like a sport uh, individual in sports who can do that. Yeah, the way she's doing, like the way she swings the, um, oh, what's it called? The sledgehammer. Yeah, it's like man, it's yeah. like you know that she's done that before. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So like it's definitely is she's she does it 
you know, as part of her life in sports and stuff, um, which she said made it really hard because, you know, they had to find someone specific to that, which narrowed the field to almost no one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it made for an interesting, you know, little sequence where she's running down. So basically what happens is is you start on uh, with Big Brother. He's kind of – you see the, the, the troop of conformed people – come down into the stadium, the auditorium. Big Brother starts to talk on the screen. Um, you see her start to run. And, you know, it shows you more shots of the rows and rows and rows of the bald dudes. Mm-hmm. She's running, 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 and then she throws, just before she gets caught because she's being chased, she throws the hammer into the screen and busts the screen, and it just shows everyone the light. You know, it literally, literally, like, lights up and shows everyone the light. So, and then it goes into the whole... You know, Apple's going to release their Macintosh, and we'll find out why 1984 is not actually like 1984. Like a super, <laughs> super bad slogan line. Um, but yeah, it's very 80s. Very 80s. <laughs> this whole commercial is very 80s. Uh, but you know, it it made sense for what they were going for, and tapping really Scott yeah. for that made a lot of sense considering the two, especially rolling off those two movies, which were you know really popular, obviously. Yeah. Um, I really like this commercial, though. I really like it. I just love the music that he chose for it, and the mm. way it's just cut. That is yeah. so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I really like that. It was, it was, and it has a kind of a fritz long's uh uh metro metropolis vibe to it a little bit at yeah. the beginning um you know that's like those types of movies are influencing scott yeah. like crazy it's funny because i think this, you know this the commercial was also made i think before i believe before terry gilliam's brazil and terry gilliam's brazil has a lot of uh george orwellian um uh themes okay but yet stylistically and look wise this looks very much like brazil so i it's kind of funny that maybe terry gilliam kind of saw the commercial and was like "Ooh, i kind of like this maybe i'll kind of go with this kind of a uh, look for um my movie <laughs> yeah and i'm sure scott's you know alien and blade runner helped with that a lot too yeah. i think because you know scott he appeared on the scene and was just like shook it up like yeah. right away um in terms of his sci-fi and, and the especially with alien sci-fi horror and like do you know what he did to kind of help shape that landscape you know every most sci-fi films pull from those yeah and pull from scott now like nowadays yeah yeah he kind of he sent a big benchmark or whatever yeah exactly (laughs) set the bar pretty high yeah set the bar um so the next commercial is v saint laurent you know, I'm, I'm not even going to try and pronounce... Vise Laurent? <laughs> well, I'm not going to try and pronounce the, the actual fragrance name. It's La Nuit de Long or something. Oh, yeah, I have no La Nuit idea. de Long or something. La, yeah. I don't know. That's what I would de guess. De Leon. De yeah. Leon, yeah. <laughs> um, so, just coming off the popular Black Swan, Darren Ar- Aronofsky was tapped to make this commercial for the fragrance, which is a fragrance for men. Um, and like all other fragrances, you know, for men specifically, it's about the sex appeal and how women will be drawn to you if you wear it, which is the whole commercial. Is that. <laughs> and the thing, instead of the fragrance itself, they kind of use like the watch as a sort of yeah. visual marker yeah. for it. But it is the fragrance, right? So like, you know, he's always kind of looking. The watch always kind of shines. And the women always kind of look. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's essentially. I like that though. It was kind of a unique thing. I was like, "That's actually really smart." Yeah. Like, because like, how how can you how can you sell something that the viewer can't experience exactly through media? And it's a smell. So he uses 
a watch. As opposed As to like him standing in a bar, you know, spraying, spraying the stuff you on actually him. So, yeah, because you don't see the fragrance ever, ever in the yeah. whole commercial. I don't think. I don't even think there's a picture of it. I don't at think the end. so. So it's just the name. Yeah. Um. So that was really really impressive to me yeah totally <laughs> and you still and that's the thing is you get what's going on yeah, like you, yeah. you could get it even probably without the watch but the watch is like you know adds that little like little touch like yeah. okay there's something specific more than just he's a good looking guy type and, of like, thing the way right? Vince Excel is like his, he's got swag you know and stuff but and he you know he's kind of messing with his cuffs or whatever like yeah he could have used like a cuff link or something to kind of bring it but that watch it really does kind of make it i don't know the watch is more sophisticated than a lot of things i think i think there's like a certain like if you were to make like adjust a necklace or an earring or a cuff link those are i don't know accessories yeah watches too but But a watch it's more of a tool too and it signifies like in commercials especially i think watches can they try and connect watches more to men right like whereas a necklace and an earring is more a feminine thing that they try and use to connect you know so like it makes sense in that regard yeah. where it's like, you know, men don't have a lot of accessories. Well, right. the ones they do have is like it's a, a watch. nice watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, um, makes is, sense. Is there a watch in uh, the Nicholas Winding Griffin one? I forget. I thought there was, maybe. I, think, I can't. Maybe? I honestly Shit, can't yeah. remember. <laughs> um, I know there's like the dude's hand at the beginning. But it's but definitely very, both of the, both of these are very masculine. Very sure. men. Yeah, yeah, very, definitely targeted to, to men. I mean, of course, women drink Hennessy, but um, I think the, 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 the tradition is is that you know men you know drink the whiskey yeah you know, you know exactly. what i mean like you know it, it'll well any sort yeah. of liquor yeah <laughs> i mean uh even um like what is that vodka the it's got the white label with the red like oh, square uh, near it's a like kettle yeah kettle vodkas yeah. or whatever like those are men drinking yeah. it you know yep. sophisticated and men then patron like, normally has kind of oh, that's tequila right so but that those commercials are kind of sexy they kind of have a lot of yeah. bikini girls so they're kind of definitely geared towards the men like looking at the mm-hmm. commercial exactly you know? exactly um, uh so basically like aronofsky teams up with vincent cassell uh who obviously they just rolled off a of black swan uh, who where Vincent uh, stars in, and he quote seduces his way across France, <laughs> um, and to connect us back to an uh, to the Hennessy commercial, actually Clint Mansell did the music for this one too. Oh wait, but Cliff Cliff Martinez did the, the Our, music for. Why did I say Clint Mansell? No, yeah, so Clint Mansell did the Darren Aronofsky one, but Cliff Martinez did. Oh. Uh, I know they're very Damn it. they're very similar names. <laughs> no wait, no no wait, hold on. Yeah, I Cl- put Clint Mansell. Wait a yeah, minute. Yeah, Clint hold Mansell on. did uh, the Aaron Ar- the Aaron uh, the Darren Aronofsky one, and then okay. Cliff Martinez Damn did it. the. I've always do that. The, I know they're very similar names, and they kind of have. They're so connected to the the filmmaker that they work with that yeah. it, that's an easy mistake to do. Let me just make sure. Oh, yeah, you're right. Cliff Martinez. Okay, I'm retarded. Okay, so yeah, Cliff Martinez did um, Hennessy. Because I was writing these out of order. That's why I did that. And then Clint Mansell did. But Clint Mansell is a collaborator with Arnofsky because he also did Requiem for a Dream. And Black Swan. Black Swan. And I want to say The Fountain, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And, ooh, actually, I don't think he did Noah, but I could be, maybe... Um, possible but he's definitely worked with yeah darren aronofsky on like three or four um exactly uh, full feature length projects for sure exactly let me just look up mansell's credits real quick pie requiem for a dream 
Um, let's see. The Fountain. Yep. And The Wrestler. Okay, The Wrestler, too. Um, Black Swan. And Noah. So, yeah. Oh, so, basically, every Noah. film. Okay. Yeah, every freaking <laughs> I film. I wasn't quite sure. He also did Ghost in the Shell. Right. Which we watched. Yeah. And he had one episode in Black Mirror, which is considered probably the best episode of that show. But anyway, that's for a different uh, <laughs> Um So, yeah. Okay. So, Clint Mansell. So, I was wrong. There's no connection there. Um, but, yeah. So, basically, it's like he seduces, like, three different women, and it just shows them... From the seduction stage to when they kiss, and yeah, that's, yeah. that's the commercial. Yeah. Like, uh, it's actually the longest one we, I think, out of all of them too. Yeah, because it's in like two and a half or three to, minutes. Yeah, close to three minutes. I think, yeah, yeah, so more of a short film than a commercial. Um, it's kind of cool too because you actually don't ever see him kiss. He's always going going for it. I think right? by the end, don't they? Doesn't he do? Like, I think it, does it does it cut like right before? I don't know. I don't know. I, I forgot. <laughs> I kind of just watched them all in a row, so I was yeah, like, you know. <laughs> um, I but mean, it's kind of, it, 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 it was a weird, it's a weird commercial um, because there's not much of a plot to it, but yet you know what's going on. I don't know. It's it's, it's a weird one. I, um, oh, two, two minutes and 16 seconds. So it's oh, okay. actually fairly short, but not. Yeah, but it's really, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> I liked it. I want to get, you know, I wish that they had like, you know, DVD sets of all the little short films and commercials and music videos that directors have done you know and then you could like buy like okay every, the the whole Fincher collection the whole yeah, Aaron, right. Aronofsky collection yeah. but like in good quality because like some of these like they're not even in high definition on YouTube which is weird you know right like, yeah especially this on. one okay so he doesn't actually kiss anyone so he gets close and then it shows him walking away alone yeah 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 but he's yeah. all like <laughs> happy and smug and you know, cuts yeah. to their fragrance or it's whatever. It's really I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so that was, that's that one. Uh, the next one and last one we're going to do is Martin Scorsese's Blue Day Chanel, uh, colon, the film. So Scorsese directs French actor Gaspard Ullier. Ullier. Yeah, I don't know French dude, Gaspard. In this short story of a young actor who rebels against the conformity forced upon him by his status. Um, the film uses the color blue to not only connect the commercial to the brand, but it helps influence the tone and mood of the commercial, i.e. the actor's depression. It's very... Stylistically, this is kind of close to, like, The Departed, I think. Yeah. You know, has the yeah. same kind of feel, kind of same type of lighting. Yeah, um, definitely. Oh, real quick with Aronofsky, too. I thought... Uh, Initially, it was kind of like, well, I don't know why they necessarily picked him for that because there was nothing specifically Aronofsky that I could think of. But then I was thinking, like, the the I guess they were trying to do this sort of surreal thing where he's like seducing everyone. Yeah. But like Aronofsky's thing is like, how do we like? He always has this root of realism, so I think that's yeah. kind of why he was tapped to do that because I think they were trying to connect, like you, like we said the the abstract nature of smelling something yeah. in something that is real and makes sense yeah. to people. So I think, you know, you, and I don't know if there's any sort of real Aronofsky-isms. I don't, haven't seen enough. I haven't seen, like, all of his movies, so I don't know if there's something about him, if he is auteur or if he yeah. is not auteur. You know I what I mean? I think he would be... Um, Noah is maybe an exception. 
in the sense of well, I don't know. I'd have to look. I'd have to look into the, all that. It's hard. Yeah. He's like a known name, but he's not like I don't know if we can call him like a quote a tour director. Yeah, interesting. There's, you're not watching Aronofsky movie going. That's is an Aronofsky movie, right? It's like each one is kind of. He's kind of like Von Trier in the sense that he has like these trilogies or these these films that are connected to each other, but not. But some of them aren't connected to others. Yeah, uh, you know, like, yeah, like, exactly. like Noah and the Fountain are kind of more connected, but then the Wrestler and Black Swan are definitely connected, and then Requiem for Dream is also kind of connected to those as well. And you have um, Pi, which is his first one. Which yeah, is a... and Pi is kind of connected, maybe more to the Fountain as well. And I don't know. It's interesting. I'd have to really. I, I bet he's more of a theme. Theme. Yeah, I think his th- themes like, are, his, yeah. are more connected. Not so much maybe his actual what you see on screen but he does do a lot of uh um cool stuff with the camera for like he does do some really cool long takes and uh um i think he likes to shoot on film which is kind of cool too um, okay I so i don't know that. uh i'd have to look, i'd have to rewatch like all of his movies and <laughs> i mean he was them. definitely able to like within the three little shorts within this commercial he was able to separate them out in terms of color feel and look and whatever so like I guess there's that so Um, but this is probably the one where it's out of all of them probably the most like well why right yeah you know that type of thing Um, anyway back to Blue Day Chanel this one's also sort of a little why-ish. Why Scorsese? Like, what about... Because even when you look at his filmography at the time this commercial came out, there wasn't really much. It was before Wolf of Wall Street, which is the one thing I would kind of connect it to. And it was kind of right around when he was kickstarting Boardwalk Empire. And uh, what I looked at yeah, what he, he had. He had already done The Departed in 2006. Yeah. So, um, like you said, that's probably the closest thing connecting him and and their choice to, for him to come in and direct such a sleek right. modern glossy yeah. you know blue movie I think a part of it too is like he's kind of he was the basically the first filmmaker really to have rock and roll in a movie um the way oh, yeah. the way it was used like in mean streets um shutter so, island was the one that came out right around when he made right, this commercial which i can see maybe some of the blues and stuff mm-hmm. but yet the the look of the film is different because of it's, you know it's a period film but exactly um, but it's funny he's got this kind of he's kind of known to have this kind of bad boy image at least in his films where the characters are kind of maybe some of them are a little bit more wild or they're very you know again masculine um uh and also they have that like rock star personality he's kind of affiliated with the rolling stones the rolling stones make an appearance in almost all of his kind of the films that are kind of more modern not period yeah. films um and also you know he did a, a full documentary um called i think something shine the light um where he directed the big super bowl um halftime show when the rolling stones did it um, oh, maybe cool. like 10 years ago and he did a whole documentary about the making of that um with the Rolling Stones, because the Rolling Stones are friends of his, you know, and so I think the Rolling Stones, the song that's playing, right, is the Rolling Stones in this film, in this uh, commercial? Pretty sure, th- I'm pretty sure it I is. I can't the, remember. Uh, well, then they do the rock and roll thing with the other one, right? With right. The whole uh, the watchtower. So um, I th- so it kind of has that connection, um, and he has, it has the, you know, I'm kind of curious, too, really, is for me, Thelma Shoemaker 
the editor is so iconic to oh, does she all edit of Scorsese filmmaker or Scorsese films. So I was curious to see if maybe she had edited the yeah. The she commercial. said she said yeah by the Rolling Stones. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, I don't know with with commercials. It's like really hard to find like the crew, the credit, the crew. Yeah. Um, when but did she? It was only recently that she passed, right? I think so. Yeah, because I think um, I because I think Silence was edited by somebody else, and of course you could tell there was definitely a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, she edited. Silence. Oh, she did. Okay. Maybe we're did. thinking of. Um, oh, Sally Mae. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shit. Yeah. So she's. I don't know. Maybe she did. I don't know. That, that's the weird thing about commercials. Is like it's it's essentially like a director's medium. Really. <laughs> yeah. Like it's all they. That's the. And this is. We can kind of move right into it. Actually, uh, the why, the why, why do directors want to even make commercials? Um, why do commercial? Why do brands contact directors to make commercials? Um, and I'll talk about exactly what we were just talking about um, with the whole name thing and selling the commercial here in just a second. Um, but one big reason and sort of the obvious reason as to why is money. <laughs> uh, these brands spend millions of dollars on marketing materials every year, and a good chunk of that money is spent on video material for TV and the Internet. good example for this is um, our, our Super Bowl ads, yeah. which – Will cost an estimated five million dollars this year for a thirty-second slot, which is crazy because Nicholas Winding Refn did the entire the Neon Demon film for six million dollars. I know, right? <laughs> and that was over the two hours thing. long. <laughs> and these people, and this is just to secure a slot. Yeah, that's it. This is not the cost of anything yeah. else that goes in the commercial. Yeah, that's roughly one hundred sixty-six thousand six hundred sixty-seven dollars per second. Fuck. And it's only expected <laughs> to go up from there. Jesus. Yeah. Well, 111 million people watched the last Super Bowl, so, you know, $5 million for a slot. Yeah. Was that chump change? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, when it comes to that much for an ad slot, you know those companies are spending tens of thousands of dollars yeah. to produce the videos. Yeah. So, you know, these, you know... <laughs> You want the, they want they can get money like they're you know you're spending t- that much money on a on a commercial directors are not always making movies yeah, so yeah. like you know they gotta be able to keep themselves afloat while they're trying to financially secure or, fi- or secure finances for their next movie and, and make their next movie right mm-hmm. um, so when your name can help sell something then you can negotiate to be paid a big fat paycheck to make a thirty to sixty second short film Shit. and you can and do a, almost whatever you want yeah like that's really the thing um so like i said it helps them keep them afloat um and then uh yeah another big reason directors want to do commercials is because these specialty commercials especially like the ones we just covered afford them more creative freedom than they have working on feature films even on indie features yeah so not only are you getting paid but you're yeah. getting paid to do you yeah which is <laughs> that's that's the dream filmmaker right? that's like that's it it's very attractive <laughs> yeah that's what you're trying to do as a filmmaker yeah. is get paid make movies and do you and you get to experiment a little bit because you're not necessarily focused on like having a full arc whether it's a character arc exactly. or a story arc you're kind of basically working for the brand so you kind of you, you just kind of pick what you maybe want to focus on and kind of experiment with that and see if it fits um which is cool instead of having to really stress out about you know all the 
intricacies of a, of a, what a full length film yeah, would, would exactly. You know, take. And like you like you know the brand has its image that it wants to protect. So in this sense, like Hennessy again, for example, is like you want the you want the male, you want the sophisticated male, you want the the other the other side, which is sort of the the biker dudes and riding yeah, the yeah. motorcycles and and the guys who are cool, right? Yeah, yeah. Hennessy. So that's a limitation that you have to work within, and the, you know the certain color schemes maybe of of that lifestyle, yeah. getting the, that mood and tone of sophistication. So that's a limitation, but within that, the brand is like we're hiring you to do, to do you. Yeah. So keep that those specific little things in mind, and then just make a, make something cool. Yeah. <laughs> here's you know here's a couple hundred grand or whatever to make it. So cool. Yeah, and it's literally just like here's a bunch of money, have fun. Yeah, you know, that type of thing. Um, and really, it is I'm, for them. I'm sure it is like the stress of of making a feature film versus making because a commercial can be shot in like a couple yeah. of days. Well, some of them like the Hennessy one was definitely not a couple of days because right. of all the set building and stuff. But like you know, once the Anders- Wes Anderson one was once the set was built, it was yeah. just like shoot it in a day. Yeah. You know, and stuff like that. So, like these, these can be made quickly. It's crazy. I almost guarantee you that Nicholas Penny Reffin got made more money off of this Hennessy commercial than than he did. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah, which is so sad, but totally. But that's the thing. It's like, how do you keep yourself afloat as someone who directs stuff? Well, you get tapped to make music videos, and you get paid by big artists. Or you get tapped to do commercials. Yep. And, like, people might be like, well, you're making a commercial. That's selling out. But it's like, dude, I got... No, a lot of these people have kids and families and, yeah. and bills yeah. to pay. Like, we all got bills to pay. Yeah. Like, commercials, as much as we don't like ads, commercials are what keep everything afloat, yeah. essentially. Well, it's kind of cool, too, because, you know, filmmakers like Darren Aronofsky, Refn, and Corinne, like, they don't have movies that, like have made them a whole bunch of money whereas Scorsese more so um, yeah. you know I mean Scorsese's net worth is a lot um, and he's also made a lot more movies exactly than, he's had yeah, you know it's... he's in his you know 70s um, you know he's got a, 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 he's ha- he has a huge filmography behind him um, so he's obviously you know worth more but it's kind of cool that they oh, where was I going with that um, that those type of filmmakers get you know they get to get these this paycheck um because you know current he doesn't korean he doesn't do a lot of um stuff um so he, he probably it wouldn't surprise me if he's using some of that money for his next film or at least yeah. to get some sort of you know money up front like okay I'll, you know this studio i'm going to give you this amount of money um for you to you know start totally on, you know pre-production for my film or something like that. but also you know? there's some validation too we're like Maybe you how your films have more of a cult following, like you know you you like your films and people like your films and the reviews are good for your films, but they just weren't able to to become those critical successes. Yeah. yeah. So the validation of like wow these people actually like some people saw this somewhere and they're yeah. tapping me now to <laughs> to to help them produce yep. content. You know like that's cool. That's like. To have your own voice and style is one thing, and yeah. then to like have it validated in a way where people are searching for you right. is totally yeah. another thing. Totally well, cool, especially right? Especially a brand as you know iconic as Dior or Chanel or um, yeah. Nike or you know um, Stella Artois is big, but it's you know it's not as like it doesn't have the same you know. But Nike, you see probably every and, day. Yeah, you know, it's you like know? these are these are iconic brands that have been around a long time and will stay. You know, so I don't, like I mean. 
a little bit of an ego trip, you know? Totally. Totally. (laughs) For sure. I mean, but worth it. Because these are are talented directors. They're not like, as terrible as this is for me to say, if Jacob was here, he would probably give me crap for this. But, like, you know, Joss Whedon is talented. You know, Jean Favreau is talented. But they're probably not going to get hired on by these very iconic brands because they don't have so much of, like, a, a... a unique, like a super unique voice. They have a unique voice because obviously everybody's a ind- different individual. But um, they're they work maybe more in the studio system where they're maybe not allowed to do as much of them as they maybe even want to. Yeah. But the f- filmmakers that are being sought for this type of stuff are filmmakers that one aren't maybe doing super super big budget movies Scorsese and Fincher are maybe the Exception. two exceptions but even Fincher is kind of known as the sort of like independent uh, studio guy right. where he's, right. his budgets are always smaller yeah. but he makes them yeah. big yep they look yeah they look yeah. big you know that type of thing um and most of his budgets go to pay big actors, really. Right. You yeah. Know, so the yeah. actual productions this, themselves yeah. are tiny, which is why six to seven million dollars indie yeah. film like Neon Demon, you know, because Elle Fanning is like not small. She's not right. huge, but she's not small, she's, yeah. right? And like uh, Jenna Malone was kind of n- known, but she's sort of in a lull. Yeah. And then yeah. you have the two, like the models and stuff. Yeah. So they they are their faces are known, right? right? Um, so yeah, like, like Abby Lee was known for Mad Max the year yeah, before. Yeah, so exactly. But it wasn't so like, she's like a big name, you know. You know, a good big chunk in the fashion industry. But exactly. Not, like, so like a good chunk of seven million went to just pay them. So now you're looking at even less to yeah. pay the whole crew yeah. and the locations and yeah. to keep everything afloat. So like, yep. it's impressive. And then you know to think that how much of a cut did he you know take right just to keep himself alive right yeah and yeah. his family alive yeah. too right you know that type of thing. So like, you know, and I think that. The other thing that kind of helped with that was Drive, you know, Drive's critical success too really helped. But then he was also in huge debt. But that's the whole thing we'll <laughs> yeah, go on with we, Refn. We He's got a Refn. very interesting history for <laughs> film. Um, but yeah, so you're, you're definitely like it's definitely these people are these brands are picking up directors that are more unique yeah. than others. Iconic directors for iconic brands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like Spielberg directing a Dior commercial or like any of yeah. these, you know, like Spielberg's is his sensibility is for the big screen. Right, yeah. You know, where some of these guys can pull their their sensibilities and make it work it's, within a different which is really cool. And like, I mean, Karen and Raffin especially just because not because like they're two of my one of my, you know, two of my favorite directors, but they they're a little bit they're one they're younger mm-hmm. than all the other filmmakers they're, they're both even younger than like Wes Anderson um, I believe uh, well I don't know Karen might be the same I don't know anyway uh, they're, they, they're both younger um, and so they, they, they and they're and they're both a little bit more in tune I dare say into with like the power of images and um uh, you know, both of them don't really care so much about maybe what uh, Fincher cares about, you know, uh, when it comes to filmmaking. So when that's translated into a commercial or a music video, it maybe fits those better totally. than maybe yeah. a feature film um, or a narrative film. Um, so which is kind of cool. Uh, their adaption processes, I think, is different. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, because the Blue Day Chanel commercial wasn't even developed by Scorsese, it was developed by a separate right. group. Yeah. And then he came in to kind of... And did the creative, like, okay, yeah. I want the camera here, and it needs yeah. to go here. And, he helped yeah. shape, like, they gave him, like, a specific clay, yeah, and he, he kind of helped shape. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Which is cool. I mean, and, and he did a good job. And you can tell it's Scorsese, I think, um, but it's not as... Um, obvious as like you know the Refn one yeah exactly. <laughs> or the Wes Anderson one exactly the Wes Anderson one for sure yeah. um but yeah just definitely like you know these these brands want to shape themselves so they choose the directors that match them and this you know obviously like Corinne makes sense for Dior doesn't make sense for Stella Artois right like <laughs> it's it's a mix and match and, and I'd like to see that that'd be interesting <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be a trip right but that's kind of something as a filmmaker yourself like as you're developing your style the more unique your style like, there's sort of trade-offs, right, where it's like, well, my style is so unique and I'm so committed to what I want yeah. that maybe my success commercially hasn't been as high as if I was yeah. more accessible, for example, or whatever, or, or my style kind of meshed with the time more. Yeah. You know, sometimes you're just, you're just out of time, but at the same time, if you stick to your guns and your style... You might find different niches or niches in in stuff like this, you know, where you can just yeah. get paid to to make some things where people want you, right. type of thing, you know. Yeah, um, definitely, and it's funny because there are directors that almost only do commercials, mm -hmm. um, and there are some that are really well known, um, but they're only really well known in that circle in that industry. And then, you know, like Lady Gaga, uh, for example, like knows a lot of those type of people. So she utilizes them for a lot of her music videos. So a lot Makes of her sense, music yeah. videos have been shot by famous, um, or not necessarily famous, but well-known uh, fashion, either photographers, fashion yeah. commercial directors, or like, you know, perfume commercials and stuff like that. So that's kind of cool. I um, mean, there's a whole lot of directors out there that yeah. get hired constantly, like, you know, TV directors, like... Yeah. You, Game of Thrones directors specifically, you know, like a lot of those guys, you might not know their name when right, looking at right, it, right. but you'll see them pop up on a bunch of different shows because yeah. the right people who make yep. who make the shows know their name, yep. right? And like the the guy I know here, um, he's works in Vancouver and whatnot. Like he, you know, he, you might not know his name because he's made some movies. You know, he's made a lot of movies, a lot of t made for TV movies, yeah. stuff like that. So like. His name is known in the circles where, it, essentially, where it matters. Right. You know, the, it's cool if the audience knows your name if you're a household name. That's yeah. a that's a dream, right? Yeah, For yeah. a lot of directors <laughs> and a lot of actors and a lot of people. But at the same time, it's like those are people who are help paying you. But from the day to day aspect of things, they're not the people who right. are help paying you. And we all got shit to pay yeah, for. Yeah, you know, we gotta yeah. we gotta live, right? <laughs> um, so. Which do you think is your favorite? My favorite would be the Hennessy XO by Nicholas Winding Refn, I think. Yeah, same here. Um, just because it's so fucking polished. The music is on point. It builds up. There's like this cool like crescendo. The images are like sexy, but they're and evocative, but they're dark, edgy. It's kind of fetishistic. You know, you got the guys kind of, you know, fetishizing on their bikes. And, and you have like, you know... Uh, you know, a guy kind of painted all in gold. He's got, you know, uh, his top 
off and there's like mirrors around the mirror one was weird yeah godlike which ties into some of the kind of the pyramid in the the egyptian like eye totally and and then there's like fire exploding trees and then like a lady and so and just it's just it it's just the way it flows together so organically you don't necessarily know exactly what it's saying but it's pleasing to the eye and you're not really like what the fuck you're just kind of like Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> That's dope. <laughs> Whoa, man! Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, that one was definitely my favorite too. Um, and I would probably say the V Saint Laurent was probably my least favorite. That's the Aaron Aronofsky, Aronofsky one. Okay. Yeah, that one was probably my least favorite. Um, it just the one that didn't click as much as like like why him type right, of right. thing um, just didn't click right in terms of its entertainment value, I guess to me. Um, but yeah, I think uh, there was interesting. I think I don't watch. I mean, when you're watching TV, you don't like watching commercials, and I don't watch a lot of commercials myself. Yeah. Um, but these are different in the sense that you're watching them for their artistic value right. as opposed right. to the commercial. Because like the Hennessy one doesn't show Hennessy until the very end. Like a lot yeah. of these don't show yeah. what it is until the end. Yeah. So you're just watching something cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think it. I think it mentions. I think, like it says, a film by Nicholas Winding Refn. I think Hennessy's name is there, but it's oh, but right at the very beginning. Yeah, maybe they do their little. Yeah, yeah, but that might not even. That probably wasn't even on there when it shows. When yeah, it shows, exactly. it's probably just on the the you know the director's cut quote you know um, yeah uh, on YouTube. Or they might drop the name. They might right. say Dior by a film by Corinne yeah. but they won't tell you what Dior product right. they're talking exactly, about yeah. it's about the journey that she takes through the mirror sure. to find yeah, the product because Hennessy does different you know does different styles of drinks or different right. styles of whiskey and this is particularly the XO one um, which I'm, I'm not familiar with what you know what Hennessy makes or whatever but um, but I know like that Dior has different fragrances obviously uh, Louis Vuitton has or Louis Vuitton has um, different you know uh shoes and different you know obviously yeah. this was their one polish exactly. <laughs> but yeah oh man it, i yeah the reference one would be my favorite but i really do like the Karen one um the dior one it's just cool because it's more experimental um just because it's more it's a little bit more avant-garde it's a little bit more psychedelic is um, a good one, yeah. you know it's it's more it's definitely more european yeah i think um yeah. than maybe all the other ones um but you know, I also really like the Ridley Scott one. There's something about the mood of that that really is just kind of cool. Um, it is very '80s, um, but it it works for me for some weird reason. I don't know why exactly. Besides the cheesy like tagline at the, the end, right, but, right? But yeah, it's it, it's very much Ridley Scott. Yeah, it yeah, really is. <laughs> like it's, it's him, you know, um, and he was helping lead the charge because that was the first Macintosh. Yeah. They were introduced in 84. So, yeah. you know, he was helping lead the charge for Apple, which is really big. Um, you know, because Apple really wanted to... I wonder if he's got stock. I would, dude, I bet. <laughs> I bet they... I bet, I bet, he probably got paid partially yeah. in stock. Or if he was really on the nose, he would have gotten paid entirely in yeah. stock and be worth billions of dollars nowadays. Man, it'd be nuts. Yeah, right? <laughs> um... So I don't know if there's anything else we want to cover in terms of these commercials. Not really? Else. Yeah, I think we, I think this was a, a good episode that really separates out from right, it's the other ones yeah. we've done before. Not only in terms of 
excuse me, not only in terms of the films and our normal episodes, but even the other mini episodes that like Jacob and I have done, yeah. uh, which is kind of cool that like the fact that like, I wonder what you guys would pick if it was without me, if you guys pick <laughs> two, because like, you know, I kind of like with the, all the, with all three of these episodes we've done so far, you know, you and Jacob have kind of picked it more than I have. Okay. Yeah. Um, so like it's your guys's influence on the episode, <laughs> right? It's like more like this episode is more you right, than it is more yeah. Jacob, right? I don't know Whereas what like, I would exactly necessarily say about the Disney stuff because he because I you know because I wasn't in that episode as a listener, I was fascinated to hear all this stuff because it's all stuff that I am not familiar with exa- at right. all. Because but Jacob was all very knowledgeable about all right. this stuff, and so there was a good dialogue between you and. And Jacob there that would not have been the same with me for sure. So it was kind of cool to 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 hear that. And I don't, you know, Jacob, I don't think is as familiar with like Karen and you know Refin as we are. So uh, yeah, like... exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I think it's just interesting how the, the show changes. Like yeah. how much we balance each other out when it's all three <laughs> yeah, and what yeah. we what yeah. we decide to talk about yeah. and choose and whatnot. Um, that's a good question. I don't know what Jacob and I would choose if, like, you weren't there. Because I think you and I have more similarity than maybe Jacob and I um, when it comes to, like... But you and Jacob have more similarities than probably him and I. Okay. I would, I yeah. would say. It's, yeah, because I, I, I think I'm, I'm... Mostly because you've just seen more of the I think movies I'm, he's seen. Yeah, yeah. Right, that's funny, like, though. That's funny. Because I'll probably, you know, because I'm a sucker for, like, some melodrama stuff and you know some stuff that i think he would like you know but there are stuff that you know i'm not a big comedy guy i just don't know that genre that well but he would probably know you know i mean i i feel like some point in the life of this podcast it'll be the case where i can't do it and you two will do it (laughs) and like I mean, I do a lot of, it's like... It's going to be weird, man. I don't know. It's going to be weird. Well, because, yeah, because I'm the one, like, I do <laughs> yeah. a lot of the upfront Right. And the... The, the research and... Yeah, the, and, yeah. And, and, like, keeping the podcast, like, flowing or whatever. Yeah, because yeah, so, like, normally it's, you know, Jacob and I that are start laughing and trailing <laughs> yeah. off and... <laughs> but that would be that would be interesting. I'm kind of stoked for that to like just listen to an it's episode like that huge, I've never. Like mess. <laughs> <laughs> it took us four hours just to get the thing recording and like six hours to edit because I had to cut all this stuff out. <laughs> we went for three hours instead of an hour and a half. <laughs> it was supposed to be a mini episode. <laughs> oh man, that's gonna be sweet though. But uh, yeah, I think. Uh, I think it's cool. I think uh, what we should do, though, is we should start a, start an offshoot podcast that's all about Corinne and Refin. <laughs> you and I will just talk about that. All, for... the, all the Refin and Korean fans would just be like, yes. <laughs> finally. All six of finally. them. <laughs> and then we're like, we're not the only ones. <laughs> we're not alone. Yeah. There's dozens of us. Yeah. Dozens. <laughs> uh, oh, all right. That's um, awesome. Okay, so uh, if you have any questions, topic suggestions, opinions, or if you have any fact corrections, go ahead and send an email to b2bfilmspodcast at gmail.com. You know, if you want to tell us how to say those French words, that would be great. Uh, we're always trying to learn new things, so we'd love to hear from you. You can also visit our Facebook page, join our group to comment on, or discuss this week's episode or past episodes. All of our episodes can be found on iTunes and at soundcloud.com slash b2bfilms. If you like the show, please rate it. And leave a comment on iTunes because it helps us move up on the move up the list on iTunes, um, you know, so others can find us. 
we can kind of grow we can kind of yeah. grow our knowledge and you can grow your knowledge and we can just make a bigger community because that's really what we'd like is just to to know that there's like you know we don't need a billion people listening but you know to, to have other people and have a discussion is really i think what we're going for yeah, you to know have a dialogue it's cool have a dialogue for sure uh, our intro and outro music was composed by Curtis Skinner, who can be found at skinnyproducing.com. Skinner. He goes, here, what? <laughs> I know, it's, weird. it's like always weird when there's not, it's like the same thing, like how he, because he always comes in with like the, I and I'm Jake. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, you don't, it's just, it becomes habitual, you know. After, this is what, our 23? This is 23. Yeah. yeah. After, so after 23, there's definitely a, a, a pattern. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can you imagine like a hundred? That's gonna be oh, that's weird. That's gonna be man. cool, man. I can't that's wait weird. for the hundredth one. That's gonna be cool. Yeah, that's gonna be fucking. That's gonna be true. <laughs> um, so next week we'll be covering Man with a Movie Camera and Hoop Dreams, focusing on all things documentary, which I'm stoked about. So we're just gonna essentially start covering like what documentaries are, what makes the documentary styles, you know, and and why they're kind of edited the way they are because yeah. obviously there's peculiar editing schemes in them and uh man with the movie camera this is one of the earliest documentaries silent film um you know he just kind of shoots stuff you yeah, know it's, um, it's it's different if you've ever <laughs> seen samsara and baraka that's is, this is more what it's like where it's excuse me about the visuals um hoop dreams is considered one of the one of if not the best documentary of all time i haven't seen hoop dreams yet i haven't seen it either so this will be really cool um and it's hard too because documentaries are like even my girlfriend said this she's like why'd you pick those two there's like so many more good ones out there it's (laughs) like well you gotta pick two right like what do we like i know i want to talk about all the errol morris documentaries but we might want to talk about errol morris as a specific Stupid. thing yeah yeah same with herzog herzog yeah, like yeah. and there's so many good ones that come out but it's like you know we got to find we got to draw a line somewhere so these two should give really good strong example i, I know we're going to talk about documentaries more because i really like documentaries i like um being i like editing documentaries and, and that side of things so like you know we'll definitely be talking about it uh, so yeah, Man with a Movie Camera and Hoop Dreams. Make sure you watch those films to be a part of the discussion. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs>